Hello, 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 everybody. This is the 15th episode of the Red Sox and Filter podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. We got a great show for you guys today, right on the eve of the All-Star break, the 89th All-Star break, or the 89th All-Star game, not maybe it was the 89th All-Star break, too. But we got really good uh, content for you guys today. Should be one of the better episodes. Um, joining me, as always, is Dave Latham, the great Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. How's it going? And then also, we got uh, Jordan DeCoe on the line. Jordan, say hey to everybody. Good evening, everybody. So this is the usual crew, the usual cats, and we got uh, we got some Red Sox stuff to talk about. Uh, the All-Star game is tonight, and I think I said that twice now, but Mookie Betts will be leading off for the team. J.D. Martinez will be cleanup, and Chris Sale will be the starting pitcher. This is the kind of thing that happens when you're 68 and 30 before the uh, All-Star break, so not too surprising there so and Mitch Moreland will be a reserve as well as Craig Kimbrell uh guys um Dave I'm going to start with you what are you looking forward to tonight in the all-star game Red Sox wise um well I'm looking to see what Mookie does I think he's got a real case to be uh, the game's MVP because you know hitting leadoff he's gonna get the most at bats and he's Mookie Betsy you know amazing so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Mookie does today yeah, I think that's a good answer. Um, he'll be kicking this thing off, so it'll be really fun. Um, what about you, Jordan? What are you looking forward to? Same thing. Um, I mean, Mookie's going to be a, a spark plug for that lineup, and we've all seen what he's done in the leadoff spot, so it's going to be exciting what he does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I would love to see a Mookie Betts home run, J.D. Martinez home run. I'm, I, I'm not picky. I'm not choosy. I, I will take either. Even a Mitch Moreland late game home run, Chris Sale, two shutout innings, I'm looking forward to it. So it should be a great game. That's going to be at 8 o'clock tonight. Hopefully you'll be listening to this beforehand, but, but probably not. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the all-star top talk for, for now, but the home run derby was last night. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but Mookie Betts went into the outfield with Jessica Mendoza, who works for ESPN. And he, uh, he actually tried to, he was actually catching shag and fly balls with, with the kids. It was, it was really cool. Um, people were saying that they wanted him to rob a home run, but he did not get the chance, nor would he probably have, because that would have been bad for the home run derby. Actually, it would have been interesting. I would have liked to see it. I would have laughed. But yeah, that happened last night. But that's it for our all-star slash home run derby talk. And let's segue in here. So last week, we didn't we recorded on Saturday, and Christian Vasquez went out with an injury, I want to say, the next day. Um, he's broken pinky, so he'll be out four to six weeks. was placed on the 10-day disabled list. Sandy Leone will be the starting catcher from now on, and Blake Swihart will be the backup catcher. So that is, that is very interesting. Um, Dave, you wrote an article about this, I think on Monday or actually maybe a Monday before, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, my days are all mixed up, but would you care to share what your thoughts and what this means for the Red Sox? Yeah. So normally when you lose a starting player, no matter who it is, the team gets in trouble because of it, but losing Vasquez really isn't going to hurt the Red Sox all that much. Um, because one, it puts Sandy Leone in the starting lineup. Now, both catchers are, you know, somewhat underwhelming offensively, but that Leone has been the better hitter this year. Um, I don't have the numbers quite in front of me, and he was on a tear when Vasquez got injured. He's uh, stumbled, so to speak, into the All-Star game, but Sandy is streaky, so is Vasquez, but when Sandy's, Sandy's on a little bit more than Vasquez is, and his lows aren't quite as low as Vasquez, so offensively, you're getting a bit of an improvement. Defensively, they're both above-average catchers, so you don't really have too much of a change right there. Um, the big story on this one's going to be Blake Swihart because uh, now he's going to be seeing a good amount of time behind the plate. They're not going to make Sandy catch every game for the next uh, six to eight weeks, you know. So yeah. he he's only started one game at catcher since uh, the Vasquez injury, but that's because. Pierce also got hurt, and Swihart has to be the backup first baseman also. I expect uh, Pierce to come back after the All-Star game. Once that happens, I think you're going to see Swihart behind the plate a lot more. And if he can prove that the, that uh, 2015 Swihart is still in there somewhere, uh, the guy that used to be a top prospect, I think that Swihart can really be a key member of the team down the road. Maybe that's just you know blind optimism hoping for Blake Swihart, but I do believe there is a good 
player somewhere in there still. Yeah, I concur with that. I, I think um, what you said about Christian Vasquez and Sandy Leone's going to be getting the reps, like it's not a huge loss because I think Sandy Leone has been the better player, and I don't think it's particularly close. Offensively, he's been better, even behind the plate. Christian Vasquez's defense has regressed a little bit. So you're not losing much here. The only concern, as you said, is Blake Swihart is the backup catcher. It's a role that he grew up playing. It was his top prospect catcher for so long in the Red Sox system, but it doesn't seem that the Red Sox had faith in him to assume that behind the backstop, but now they're going to have to roll with it, and it's going to be interesting. Um, I wrote an article about Blake Swihart probably this week, um, and I think his offensive numbers are not as bad as the underlying statistics would show. His quality of context um, not in line with like the six WRC. Now that that that's kind of mean. He's got like a thirty-two WRC plus. Um, so there should be some regression to the meet, and it should be positive. So that's good for Blake Swire. He also like ended the All Star break with like a really small sample hot stretch. So that's very encouraging. But I don't know how his defensive acumen is going to play back there. That concerns me a little bit. Um, but he's only what caught two games, six innings total, or six games total, and he started two. I don't something like that. So he hasn't really gotten a chance. So I'm interested in seeing him play there. And ultimately, I think it's one of his last shots with the Red Sox. So it's big for Swihart. I hope he does well. Um, and Christian Vasquez, while it will be kind of tough for Sandy Leone because he's not going to get as many rest days probably, um, I think you have the better player in Leone starting. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about this situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Dave here. Um I mean, Sandy's been the better player offensively, and you're getting, you know, the same amount of uh, de- defense uh, in the backstop. So I think, uh, like Dave said, the spotlight's going to be on Swihart and see what he can do. Uh, so we're just going to uh, we're just gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, Vasquez was probably last week's news, but this week's news, which happened, like, right in, right in front of the All-Star break, right before the All-Star break, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, our left-handed starter, went out with uh, what they're calling an ankle uh, sprain, which is never good. He appeared to roll his ankle when he was trying to cover first. Uh, Guriel of the Blue Jays tried to do a head-first slide. Uh, Erod tried to get the base and then avoid him, and then he caught his ankle, and it did not look pretty. Erod immediately was removed from the game, and Alex Cora came out after the game and said, it's not good. It looks bad or some, something along those lines. And then they said it was just a sprain, which was relieving. But Erod does have a history of knee issues. I mean, they're not the same, but they're, you know, they're the same limb. They're the same body part. So that's a concern. Um, and, yeah, now the Red Sox are rumored to be looking at other pitchers. They're um, starting pitchers, actually, in the market. So that suggests that this might not be good news. And they obviously have Drew Pomeranz and Stephen Wright on the DL, and Brian Johnson's in the rotation right now. Dave, what do you think about Erod's injury and what it means for the Red Sox? So, yeah, this injury, this is the one that's going to really be tough for the Red Sox. Um, I'm, I've always been a big fan of Erod. A few podcasts back, I can't remember which one, I went on a 15-minute tangent about my uh, about how I became Erod's first real big real big fan back in uh, 2015 his first, in his uh, debut but um, he was really starting to put it put it together and it really hurts that I went down the game he did because he was having a great start and not only was he having a great start but he was in the fifth inning he'd only thrown like 60 maybe 70 pitches he was go- gonna go deep into that game which has been the big strike against him all, all uh, his career really so um, with him gone, you're really left with only Sale, Porcello, and Price in the rotation. And that's a solid first three. There's nobody better than Sale. And Price and Porcello, those guys aren't liabilities at two and three. But you have no clue what you have with four and five right now. Yeah, You'll get Palm and Wright back eventually, but in what shape will Palm be? And can Wright stay healthy? You don't know that. And um, then you're... Then uh, that leaves you with either Velasquez or Johnson, who are fine for spot starters, but they really shouldn't be uh, regular parts of the rotation, especially when, you know, if it if the playoffs started today, one of them would be starting game four. So I, I if I'm the Red Sox, I'm definitely looking into a starting pitcher, probably not a top-of-the-rotation guy like DeGrom, just because I don't think 
we have the assets to acquire no. a guy like that, but if we can get a halfway decent starter on some team that's clearly not going to compete, which is most of them this year, I think the Red Sox should definitely jump at that. Yeah, unless they uh, put Raphael Devers in that trade package for Jacob DeGrom, I don't think it's, it's going to happen. I don't even think they're going to trade DeGrom, period. So DeGrom, if Red Sox fans are hoping to get DeGrom, um, I'm going to shut that down right now. But yeah, I agree. I, I Right now, Brian Johnson's in the rotation, and I don't trust. I, he's a good spot starter. I mean, he's done fine, but he can't go even to the fifth inning in most games he's got a limited pitch count he also is coming off the dl so there's a lot of injured starters uh for the red Sox, but there are some interesting guys uh jordan what, what about you what do you think about erod's situation and do you have any starting pitchers in mind that you think the red Sox should be looking at um i mean in terms of like in terms of trade packages uh i mean all, all i'm gonna say is like i i think it depends on what what we can um, be willing to give away and what front offices like, and and if the pieces we can give away front offices are interested in. So, uh, I mean, the, the E-Rod injury definitely kind of uh, shines a spotlight on the need for a, uh, for a back of the rotation starter. Um, But in terms of like trade packages, it's just with, with how, with how our farm system is, it just depends on, what prospects were like okay with giving uh giving away and then uh no what no what other teams are interested in and i no i i mean i, I hate to use the term giveaway because that means like we're willing to you know just deal them to anyone but that's not the case we're looking for a, a productive back of rotation starter and then this erod injury um <clears throat> kind of shed the spotlight on that because yeah we, we don't we don't know what kind of um we don't know what kind of uh, condition Palm's going to be in when he comes back. Um, and then Stephen Wright is also another question mark in terms of health. So uh, it's, it's a little interesting right now. It definitely is interesting. And coming into the year, like the Red Sox rotation depth was like the issue because um, people, I, at the time, I think like it wasn't everyone expected Drew Pomeranz to be good, but he was injured. He was cut, he got sustained an injury in spring training, and then Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez were not looked at as good depth starters, and they've been serviceable when they've had to be. But you definitely probably should be thinking about an upgrade if Stephen Wright can come back healthy. That would be huge. But like again, if they're looking at if Dave Dombrowski is perusing the market right now, it tells me that some combination of Wright, Pomeranz, and Erod don't look great in terms of health going forward. So they might want to have a contingency plan. I mean, the Yankees were considering trading for Manny Machado when they had Greg Bird, Miguel Andahar, and um, they, they had their whole left side of their infield covered. They wanted the depth. They wanted the insurance. They wanted to improve. And I think that's what the Red Sox are trying to do here. And I think now that Erod did get injured, it kind of presented an opportunity for them to start looking at starters. Um, Dave, did you have any starters in mind that you think would be a good fit for the Red Sox? Um, I haven't really looked around the market, to be honest. Um, Most of the trade deadline, I didn't think we really needed a starter because I was very happy with the top four we had. And any combination of, you know, Wright, Palmer, Ant, Velasquez, or Johnson, I'd be fine with using for the fifth guy because you don't really need a fifth starter in the playoffs. Nobody uses one. So I haven't really had a chance to peruse the market. But, I mean, there's a bunch of guys out there that would just, that are on, like, kind of mediocre to bad teams that are, we would be able to fill in in the back of the rotation. That's really all you need. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at some pitchers who've been rumored to be you know a trade chip at this point. Um, Nathan Eovaldi from the Rays, he's kind of had a really nice resurgence. He's got a really lively fastball, really good stuff. He would be an interesting guy, but I don't know if the Red Sox have the package for him. They might, but he's act. People are considering him the best starter on the market, which is kind of incredible considering like he just came back from Tommy John surgery. J. A. Happ, I don't know if we have the wherewithal to require, uh, acquire him. Michael Fulmer, too. Um, Tyson Ross could be interesting. He's on a small, uh, short deal, so that could be a nice upgrade. I don't think it would cost us too much. Francisco Liriano, think he's healthy. Um, so there are some like guys who wouldn't cost as much. I know they're not as big names, but the, I think the Red Sox, what they ultimately need is what they had in uh, Doug Fister last year because they need that depth guy, and Fister ended up pitching in the playoffs. I don't think he did very well, but... Um, he was very serviceable down the stretch, and he had, I think he had a marvelous September. So if you can get that reinforcement, um, that would be huge for the Red Sox. Um, but moving on, we're going to be uh, talking about Pablo Sandoval. 
Did you ever think you'd be talking about Pablo Sandoval on a Red Sox podcast in 2018? Be honest. I didn't. But here we are. Pablo Sandoval, um, San Francisco Giants now. He's playing He's playing pretty well. Um, he's got 97 WRC plus, 0.1 F4. So he's not playing that well, but he's, he's playing okay. Um, and the thing is, uh, people are starting to say that the Red Sox should have kept Sandoval. I don't know who started this rumor, but people are saying it. And uh, I don't agree with it. Uh, Dave, I wanted to hear your thoughts on if the Red Sox made a mistake in letting Sandoval leave. Yeah, so let's start by dispelling a very false notion here that Sandoval is somehow a good baseball player now. He's not. He's hitting 250, 316 on base percentage, 402 slugging percentage for a 97 WRC+. plus. That is the definition of a who-cares hitter. It's league average. It's nothing to write home about. He still can't field. He still can't run the bases. He's still terrible in literally every other facet of the game. He's only a .1 F4 player. It really sums it all up. This guy went from being the worst third baseman in baseball to being Devin Marrero, or like pretty much the anti-Devin Marrero because he can hit okay and is terrible at everything else, whereas Marrero is good at, is okay at everything else but can't hit to save his life. This isn't a good baseball player. He, he, he wasn't during his Red Sox tenure. He was before that, but he's not now. So I don't know where that's coming from. And even if we did have him, I don't think he's a good fit in Boston. I think, um, whatever, maybe the spotlight's a little too bright for him, but the fact is he just didn't perform in Boston. In 2017, he was healthy, he was in shape, and he couldn't beat out Devin Marrero. He couldn't beat out Travis Shaw. Or, excuse me, not Travis Shaw, but um, he couldn't beat out a 20-year-old Raphael Devers. And the team and the Sox decided he was so bad they'd just eat, like, millions of millions of dollars so he wouldn't be around. This isn't a guy that they should have kept. He's a bad baseball player, and there's really no other way around it. If he were still here, Devers would get less playing time, which would hurt his development. And it's not like Sandoval's really much of a leader or much of a like mentor to learn around, so he wouldn't be really giving that aspect. So, yeah, good riddance. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, he wasn't a clubhouse guy, and I don't know how much I believe in the term clubhouse guy. I don't even know if that's particularly true, but he he got, signed a huge contract, and he sucked. And um, you can re- write any stories or narrative around that you want. The bottom line was he was super inefficient. And, like, the thing is, even if he's producing okay this year, like, I mean, he's as you said, he's league average at bet and now he's below league average he's, he's not good his defense sucks um he's above like an average hitter this year like um he was too much of a distraction people were always talking about him it was always pablo sandoval how bad pablo sandoval is doing and rightfully or wrongly um that's not something you want for a guy who's hitting po- uh, a 97 wrc plus and a 0.1 f war that's not worth it that is decidedly not worth it uh, Jordan, what do you think? Do you think the Red Sox should have kept Pablo Sandoval? No, I, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think Red, uh, Red Sox should have kept him at all. Um, I mean, I think I think he's playing really well now because he's the replacement to uh, Evan Longoria, uh, which, you know, being a replacement player, I think um, it, obviously it depends on the role, uh, how well a player does. Uh, but I think the replacement role uh, fits Sandoval well. Uh, I think the San Francisco Bay Area fits Sandoval well. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I don't want to say that culture or that yeah that that team is like is less focused on winning, but the culture there just fits him better. Um, and yeah, like he's not the player that he was back in 2014 when the uh, when the Red Sox signed him to that massive contract, and then he just didn't, he wasn't the player that he was uh, for those two years. So. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think he's. I think the replacement role to uh, Longoria fits him well. I think that's why he's playing well. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't think he's a, a very good baseball player either. Yeah, no, I think his uh, glory days are way behind him. Um, I know you live in the Bay Area, Jordan. Did you ever get a chance to see Pablo Sandoval in a Giants uniform this year? Did you go to any games? Uh, you know what? I, um, I've gone to more Red Sox games than Giants games. and that's okay. so. It'll be, you know, one Red Sox game to zero Giants games this year. Okay, um, okay. So, I mean, it's not like I – it's I see, what what made me kind of question about going to a Giants game is because 
I didn't I didn't know what the expect ex- expectations were for for the Giants. Yeah. Um, but but I'm kind of glad that they're that they're doing well. I mean, they're only three games back. Um, I think if they could stay healthy, uh, they can make a run at it. Um, but I like when I remember when uh, I think it was the series against the Rangers where they um, where they put in Corey Guerin. I didn't know that uh, the Giants. Uh, traded Austin Jackson and Corey Guerin, and yeah. I don't think they even they told Austin Jackson like don't even like don't even suit up. Yeah, <laughs> they, just, uh, they just told him like you know like stay put. We're we're probably going to designate you. So yeah, I mean that was kind of rough, and it makes me think like what their course of action is uh, going forward. Definitely. But I mean, I think if Bumgarner can uh, play better because he's only five hundred, um, he's only like he's only three and three last time I checked, and. Uh, I mean, there's always been health issues, so I feel like if they can stay healthy and if the and if they're uh, if the Giants ace could play well, play better, excuse me. I mean, I think they're in the thick of it. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, for the Red Sox fan, or actually, the if any Giants fans are listening to this, Jordan just broke down your team on a Red Sox podcast, so that was pretty cool. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Jordan, for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that was some good analysts there about the Giants. Um, yeah, and it's relevant because Sandoval's there, and we know what Sandoval meant to, for Boston, and it was not good. But I would also like to point out that Sandoval pitched a game this year, and maybe if we had Sandoval, we wouldn't need to get a starter or a bullpen arm. You know, maybe he could have uh, pitched a little eighth inning baseball or made a spot start here or there just kidding that would be horrible but that's actually uh that's actually going to do it for our sandoval speak because we we don't we don't we don't need to talk about him anymore um he's bad uh but the red sox have hit quite a few grand slams this year i don't know if you guys have noticed um they've hit two in the past week two in the past series they've hit nine all year which is tied for the mlb lead with the cincinnati reds i think the reds have hit nine grand slams since like the end of may so that's probably just as impressive but nonetheless red Sox are five grand slams five round trippers from uh from taking the or tying the mlb record which is we have 14 and was set by the cleveland indians in 2006 and the oakland athletics in 2000 um so there's a realistic shot that they might compete for that um but i also want to ask you guys what your favorite grand slam was of the season so dave i'm gonna this is gonna be a two-part question the first question is what was your favorite grand slam of 2018 and the second one is do you think the red Sox will uh ultimately surpass that record okay so my favorite grand slam and this is a very uh lucky conversation we get to have this one's uh, not many teams to, you know pick from nine but my favorite was probably Mookie's a week ago because that at bat was just absolutely amazing. We were going up against Tap, who has historically had our number, and Mookie just worked one of the best at bats I've ever seen in my life. I think it was thirteen pitches, just 13. fouling off pitch after pitch after pitch, waiting till he got waiting till he got the one he was looking for. And the pitch just before the grand slam, Tap threw a fastball, and he like one hopped it to the plate, and you just knew right then and there that he was shot, and Mookie. Mookie was about to really take care of a very tired half, and he just absolutely crushed the ball. That one, that one's my favorite, with honorable mention to Bogey's walk-off uh, again this week. So Mookie and Xanders was very close behind that. Yeah, Xanders. Was, oh yeah, the other. Part, yeah, yeah, the other, other part of the question. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we make it. This team really knows how to get on base. This team really knows how to hit the ball out of the park. I mean, just about everyone in the lineup has power or at least the potential for it. You've got you've got so many guys that can like just really take a pitch and absolutely crush it. So I think we make it. I think we make the record of at least fifteen this year. Yeah, I mean you gotta think that in an era when there's more home runs hit than ever before, um, maybe last year, last year I think was the record. Maybe it's not as quite as pronounced this year, but in an era where home runs are being hit like crazy, that someone's gonna have to break the grand slam record, and why not the Red Sox? I think there's gonna be some regression to the mean here. I don't know if they'll get it because nine is a lot. It's a crap ton, especially like on July 18th. So I'm not sure if they're gonna get it, but I'd be really excited to watch it progress as the season goes. Um, Jordan, uh, what do you think about this? And uh, what was your favorite Grand Slam of, of 2018 so far? You know, I mean, it's, it's, well, 
I'm not going to say it's too bad that Dave stole mine, but yeah, it's too bad that Dave stole mine because that 13th uh, pitch at bat from Mookie Betts ended up uh, as a grand slam. That was just impressive. Like, I, I could not, that, that left me speechless. Um, and then, I, I mean, when he, when he hit it and then you saw his reaction where he just lit up, that was, that was incredible. I don't think you can write it any better, and that's the, that's the home run that kind of knocked half out of the game. Um, I mean, I, I mean, there, there was nothing better. And like, what what kind of made it really good was this, everything le- leading up to that. Like, everyone got on base, um, and then, I mean, I and then I, I think from what I remember, like the the Toronto f- uh, first baseman dropped a foul ball Justin or whatever. Smoke. Yeah. Um, and and then I think I think Mookie hit a, hit that home run shortly yeah. after. So I'm not taking any way anything away from Mookie. Uh, Mookie's home run because uh, that was great, but um, I mean, the the first baseman of Toronto just kind of like, no, he set that up. Yeah, that game. yeah. Uh, and what do you think about if they're gonna get the record of 14 Grand Slams? You think that's feasible? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like Dave said, we have a really we have a good knack for getting on base, um, and more often than not, we're really good at driving in runs. So. Uh, I think we have a really good shot at it going into the second half. Yeah, I'm like 50-50. It could go either way. I mean, you know, it's baseball, so anything can happen. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch. It's like a fun storyline, and it's really cool that we get to even talk about this. I actually wrote an article. Um, uh, I think it was ranking the top five Grand Slams. And I had what you guys had. I had the Mookie Betts Grand Slam, the 13 pitch um, at bat um, as my number one. Number two was the walk-off by Xander Bogarts, the walk-off Grand Slam. I was actually volunteering that day at, a, at my local bookstore, so I didn't get to see it kind of pissed off about that but it is what it is i got to see mookie Betts live and his reaction like this is a guy who does not show much reaction when he plays baseball i mean he's just a cool guy and that was just so epic and so priceless like to see mookie be as happy as he was it was incredible i've i had chills and i really think that the crowd reaction to mookies compared to bogarts even though bogarts was had higher stakes um the crowd reaction was much uh, louder um we can get a decibel uh, meter to to see if that's true but yeah i think uh the crowd was going wild which made it extra cool so go mookie that's my favorite grand slam of the year red Sox are good they hit home runs they hit grand slams they do a lot of things they're 68 and 30 um but there's actually someone on the Red Sox, guys, who's not doing very well right now. Um, he had a great start to the season. He became an instant legend when he fought uh, Tyler Austin earlier in this year, um, recreating the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry. Uh, he was pitching very well. Um, I have some statistics. You're going you're gonna to want to hear this. Uh, March through May, Joe Kelly threw 26 innings. He had a 173 ERA and a 226 FIP. Both of those, incredible. And everyone was like, wow, Kelly, it's a lockdown, 8-9. Kelly Kimbrell, he's finally putting it together. He has an amazing fastball. He's got decent peripheral stuff. Um, So they thought he finally put it together. But June and July, he's thrown 13 and two-thirds innings, which is half half the sample right there. He has a 9.22 ERA, a 6.29 FIP. His walks per nine is close to six. He gave up. He gave up 14 earned runs in 13 innings in June and July compared to five earned runs March through May. That is incredible. Like, this June-July stat is like, you know, we're halfway through July, so it's not even complete. Joe Kelly has been a disaster lately, and it's been it's been concerning. Uh, Dave, how concerned are you with Kelly, and, and what do you make of this? Um, not, well, I mean, I am concerned in a sense that uh, he's not going to be what he was earlier in the year, but I'm not that surprised just because this is who Kelly has been his entire career. He's a very, very streaky pitcher. He always has been. Um, you know, he, sometimes he was absolutely lights out the first three years or so of his Red Sox tenure. That's entirely who he was. Like one game he was throwing 100, blowing everyone vastly. And the next day he was throwing 100, but everyone was just shelling him and give up five runs an inning. Um I really think um, I, I was ready to believe that, you know, Joe Kelly had finally figured it out. Joe Kelly was going to stop being streaky and start using his phenomenal arm to be one of the best setup guys in baseball. But I really don't think that's going to happen. I think uh, streaky Joe is back just because that's who he's been throughout the majority of his career. But he's still There's still certainly use for a guy like Joe Kelly. 
he's not going to stay this bad the rest of the year. But I think uh, him, the days of him seamlessly bridging the gap to Kimbrell are somewhat over. But I think we ha- do have some options. I uh, like that Thornburg's back. I wouldn't throw him in the eighth inning role immediately, but I think um, he can definitely work his way up to that. He's thrown some absolutely amazing curveballs in his uh, few appearances, so he still has that. He still has velocity. Um, he's struggled early on a little bit just because um, he's facing major league hitters for the first time in two years, but I think as he gets more playing time, as Thornburg gets more incorporated into the rotation, he can be a setup guy, and I would like to see the Sox trade for a reliever just because you can never have enough bullpen arms. I would have said that even if Kelly had a zero ERA right now. <laughs> so um, I'm not all that concerned, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, Joe Kelly is coming a bit back to earth, so I guess we just have to wait and see what he offers this rest of the year. Definitely. Um, talking about Tyler Thornburg, I'm going to piggyback off what you said because I found it interesting. Thornburg, uh, his curveball – Everyone knows, like, in 2016, that was his put-away pitch. Like, that was his best offering, and, and he mixed it in so beautifully. He had some really nasty Uncle Charlies, and uh, early on he struggled with it a bit. But, like, lately, I mean, he's only had a couple appearances, but in his last appearance, at least, there were some curveballs that were just perfectly executed, low and away, all away, nothing up, nothing hung. And it was a thing of beauty because his changeup looks really good. I don't know if you guys have paid attention closely, but his changeup looks amazing. And he's got a 93, 94-mile-per-hour heater. So if you have two periphery pitches that are that good in the curveball and changeup, and I still think he needs some work on the curveball, um, then that is a really tantalizing package. Like, that is, like, the Tyler Thornburg we traded for. Like, you're not... I find it hard to believe that with the Red Sox um, resources, I mean, they could do something. They have some decent chips, but that they're really going to find someone with that good of an arsenal um, compared to Tyler Thornburg because he's so, his stuff is so good. Like, I could talk about it for the rest of this podcast, but for the sake of everyone, I'm just going to stop. And Tyler Thornburg, uh, I'm, I'm excited about him, especially if he can uh, reel in some command right now. Um, but Joe Kelly. As you said, Joe Kelly is very uh, streaky. Um, the weird thing is he actually has a lower XFIP this year. It's 390 than last year, and that was 407. Um, he had a sub-3 ERA last year. This year he's got an ERA 431 currently, so a little bit of a discrepancy there. His BABIP's the same virtually. It's just like this is regression to the mean, honestly. Like I could tell you that this was probably coming. I mean, I kind of bought into the Kelly hype because his underlying statistics look good in the beginning of the season. But then the inconsistency, the command problems started to reel in and Kelly became a shell of himself, which sucks because Joe Kelly is, you know, he's a hero. He He's awesome. But I think we got a little too caught up in, in a brawl and we kind of like looked away from the actual player and what he was providing to the team. And it was not great and it probably was not going to be great if you just look throughout his career like his strikeouts are basically the same his walks are basically the same he's given up a little more dingers this year but you neutralize that that's what the xfips takes into account um jordan what do you think about joe kelly um do you think he's going to be able to fix this or what are your what are your thoughts yeah i mean i've i i, I really I'm, I'm with dave on this one um we've seen him play really well and um, I, I think he's just going through a stretch right now where he's just not, he's not having the same stuff he did uh, earlier in the season. Um, but I mean, I, 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 I trust in Kelly that I've seen enough good, um, quality starts, uh, starts out of, I shouldn't say starts, but appearances out of him that, um, I, I mean, I can say that like, he's like, he's a good enough player to figure it out, um, in the second half. So, I mean, I, I trust in Kelly, um, so I mean, we're, we're like I said, we're just gonna have to wait and see. But uh, definitely, I've, I've I've some belief in Kelly. Yeah, and I still think he can be a good reliever. I think he potentially could be one of the better relievers on the Red Sox. But um, I think this is more what he is. I think maybe he'll his ERA will come down a little bit when he figures things out. But not not by much. But um, Dave, I want to actually uh, read a statistic to you, if if that's okay with you. Um, it's going to be about Heath Hembry. Absolutely, go for yeah, it. Yeah, Heath Hembry, your boy. 
Um, he, he's doing pretty well this season. He's got a 12.05 K per nine, which is striking out over a batter per inning by a considerable margin. His ERA is down to 379, and his FIP is 349, suggesting he should be doing even better. Um, I know that we've crapped on Heath Embry uh, before, and for good reason, but right now, Heath Embry, to me, is one of the better relievers on the Red Sox. Um, do you want to you wanna comment on that? Yeah, so i got to give credit where credit's due, and I actually uh, tweeted this out on the official uh, Red Sox Unfiltered Twitter page. Give it a follow. Heath Embry's been amazing. I've got to give it to him, especially these uh, this last probably month or so. He's just been lights out. I agree with you when you say, Pat, he's one of the most reliable weapons in the bullpen right now, which is a sentence I thought I would never say. But <laughs> Heath is really pitching yeah. is really pitching well. He's making me look stupid, but I'm all for it. I'm glad that he's pitching together because if he pitches well, you know, it's all the better for the sock. Yeah. Well, um, it, hopefully he can keep this up. Yeah. Yeah, but in your defense, uh, I don't think anybody would have thought that this was going to happen, especially how he started the season. But like, even like the underlying numbers, like the whiff percentage, like he is one of the highest whiff percentages in baseball among relievers. So this guy is like he's getting people to swing and miss, which is you know exactly what you want to do when you throw baseballs. You want the opposing batter to swing and miss. Unless you want them to just, you know, hit weak contact after weak contact. So, um, But, yeah, Heath Hembry, good for Heath. He's done well this season. But that's going to do it for our reliever talk, actually. And we're going to go into an even, I think, more um, interesting discussion here. Uh, this has been an ongoing debate all season long. And uh, it's going to be about the AL MVP. Mike Trout versus Mookie Betts. We've been talking about this since like the first episode of the podcast. Um, we've wrote articles about it. Dave wrote a really good one earlier in the year, but we're going to revisit it because when Betts got injured um, for like that two-week period, Trout put a considerable margin between them because he was on the field. Betts was not. Trout was providing value, and he was doing it at an like he was projected to be the highest war player in baseball history they thought he was going to break Babe Ruth's record it was in the USA Today it's weird that they used war in USA Today still don't know how I feel about that but I'm a huge sabermetrics guy so I mean it was pretty cool but it was just different to see it in you know a national publication uh anyway um Mike Trout is now at 6.6 war and again war's not gospel at all uh but Mookie Betts or actually Trout's at 6.5 Mookie Betts at 6.5. They're neck and neck. Mookie Betts has better offensive numbers. And uh, Jose Ramirez, Cleveland Indians, is also at 6.5, but no one's really been talking about him. Shout out to Jose Ramirez. Excellent year. Uh, Dave, what do, you, what do you think about this uh, MVP race? Who, who do you, what do you think, as it currently stands, who is the MVP and who do you think will end up being the MVP? So right now it's, it's got to be Mookie um, because, like, first off, Mike Trout, phenomenal player. Jose Ramirez, phenomenal player. But right now the award has to go to Mookie just because he's leading the league in just about every category a guy could be leading it in. Or if he's not leading it, he's top five. Uh, he's has, he has a higher average than Trout, higher higher everything than Trout, really. I'm not even going to list all that. Um, Pat, you mentioned their wars are essentially the same, but the people that create war even say that it's supposed to be used as a general, like, tool for getting a general idea of how good a player is anything like plus or minus one win oh, yeah. is really considered Definitely. like you can't use it that specific no so i really if anyone looks at warren just says well trucks a six five mookie's a six four or whatever like that's not the purpose that's of ridiculous war. Yeah. Just look at all the other stats mookie's kind of blowing chart out of the water he's a better fielder he's had better numbers offensively this year i wouldn't call him a better hitter for the career, because that's probably Trout. But for as far as this season's concerned, Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball, and he deserves the MVP right now. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with what you say in terms of war. War is not gospel. If you're like looking at point one or point two or even like point seven percentage points and making a sweeping declaration of who's the better player, that's ridiculous. Uh, the defensive numbers are not stabilized. They're not. They're pretty subjective. And Mookie Betts, um, he's leading in like every major category. He's got a better slugging percentage by a considerable margin. His ex woba is higher, which is expected based on contact 
factoring in strikeout and walks. Um, he's got a higher average, which I don't really care about, but other people do. He's got the higher OPS probably and the best WRC plus. So any offensive number, Betts has been better, and you know how good of a defender Betts is, so he gets the leg up on that, even though Trout's a really good defender too. Um, yeah, so you put it together, and Betts, as it stands, is, is the leading um, candidate for the MVP award, but there's a lot of season left, so we'll see. Trout's amazing. He's had a finger injury that's kind of like like stifled his performance. Uh, he actually had to DH for a while, so that's why he's not producing at his regular level. Um, so we'll see what Trout does, and even Jose Ramirez, people need to give him some love. He's doing absolutely phenomenal. He's hitting almost as well as Trout at this point. Uh, Jordan, what do you think about the AL MVP race? Oh, I mean, it, it, it's been uh, Mookie Betts for the entire first half. I really think, um, I mean, obvi- I'm obviously you could probably say that Trout has an, has an edge. I, I shouldn't even call it, call, it an ed- call it an edge because Betts was injured. But, um, I mean, he's been, he's been outplaying uh, uh, Trout the entire first half, like Dave said. And I mean, if we're if we're splitting the hairs here, uh, I mean, he might. I, I shouldn't even say we're splitting hairs because I mean they're they're almost neck and neck in war. But um, yeah, I mean, for the first half for me, it's it's been uh, Mookie Betts. Yeah. Let I me mean, just like yeah, shorten it up like that. Yeah. So uh, Jordan, do you think uh, Mookie Betts is going to end up winning it, or are you just not going to like you you can't predict? So it's. Um, I, I think if. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use the answer. I think it'd be good for baseball if Mookie Betts won. Yeah. Because um, I I, th- I think more times than not, um, I just think I, I I can I can go into rant about how like the media tries to rig it for for Trout, but um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna save the audience for, from that. But, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I th- I think it's going I think it's going to uh, I think it's gonna come down uh, to a tight race. Uh, uh, farther down the stretch, uh, but if Mookie wins it, I think I think that would be a great baseball story. Yeah, a lot of baseball left, and I think MLB is really trying to market their players right now um, because you have the LeBron of the NBA, you have the Tom Brady of the NFL, and they Mike Trout with how he's done over the past years, um, he's like the best plays like on pace to being one of the best players of all time. They have failed to market him, uh, properly. I mean, maybe they didn't fail because, you know, LeBron James gets the ball in his hand, like every single time he's always doing stuff. And it's harder when you get four at bats or you're only getting a couple balls hit to you a game. But I feel like trout has never really embraced the role of the face of baseball. Um, and this, this will be relevant soon. Don't worry. Um, and, as such, like, I don't know if he has, he doesn't want to, he's a very humble guy, um, but I think there's also kind of an effort being made with how Mookie Betts has played so far to kind of see if he can fit in the spotlight, and I think last night when he went into the outfield with Jessica Mendoza on national television, Home Run Derby, one of the most watched events in all of uh, baseball, all of sports, actually, um, out of any player, I think that that says something. Like They think that they can market this guy because uh, he's got a great personality. He's very personable, and he's an awesome athlete. And if he's going to hit like he does, because you know people love long balls. People love people who hit the crap out of the ball, and Betts kind of lacked that last year. He still was a good player. Um, I think Betts has the potential to step up not only to this MVP race, but to face of uh, baseball. So, yeah. What do you guys think about that, Dave? Do you think uh, Mookie Betts could be the face of baseball? I think he can be one of the faces of baseball. I mean, Trout's the best player overall, like when you factor in whole career. But he plays um, for the Angels, which who cares about the Angels? So it's tough to make him the face of baseball. Yeah. Um, obviously, the league's pushing for Judge because anytime you get a power hitting Yankee, you're going to want to make that guy the face. But I think. Um, I think uh, the league in their in their perfect world would have Aaron Judge and Mookie Betts be the next uh, big two faces of the rivalry because they both play right field. Red Sox Yankees, that's historic, and you know it would be sort of be sort of like uh, what these teams were in the early two thousands because really uh, the Red Sox and Yankees are both set to be very good for a very long time. Judge is probably the best of uh, the Yankees core. Mookie's probably the best of the Red Sox core and they both play the same position. It would be similar to uh, the Nomar and Jeter thing from the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. I think. I think that would be really uh, what the league wants to push because that's 
very marketable in every sense, and it's a whole lot of fun. So that's probably the league's dream right there. Yeah, I'm I'm just like there. Like I've been listening to a few podcasts, like uh, effectively wild, and they keep talking about the face of baseball. So it was in my mind, and I think Mookie Betts would be an excellent uh, candidate to do so. So. Um, go Mookie. Uh, Bryce Harper would be good too if he was more consistent. Um, he's very charismatic. Say what you will. Say what you will about him as a person, but very charismatic. Um, so we're gonna move away from that now. Um, we're actually gonna end up wrapping this up because I wanted to get before we do go. Um, what your guys' respective favorite moments of the first half were. Because this is a nice arbitrary endpoint. It's the all-star break. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Jordan. I'm, I'm going to change it up. Uh, Jordan, who, what were your favorite moments of the 2018 season so far? Uh, I mean, speaking of uh, Mookie Betts, I believe we, uh, we early on in the season we were playing um, Toronto at Rogers Center, and I believe he went 3-for-3 th- uh, three three with an off-of-taco home run. And, I mean, I, I told you uh, earlier before we started the podcast how much I like Oppo Taco home runs. I know so, you do. <laughs> um, so, so for me, that, that was my favorite. That three for, uh, I don't know if it was three for, three for three, but that three home run game from Mickey Beth, that, that stands out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the one against Toronto? And I think he did one against the Angels, too. He has two this year, right? Is that, can I get a fact check? Uh, I think so. Yeah, because I remember he did it against the Angels, and he took Otani deep. That was one of my favorite moments. I have that listed here. Um, I also have Mookie Betts' Grand Slam. That was iconic. That, that was my highlight of the season, but we talked about that ad nauseum. And then I also had, um, oh, I missed uh, the Yankee Red Sox brawl uh, in May with the Tyler Austin, Joe Kelly. That was pretty cool. That was electrifying. Uh, what about you, Dave? Do you have a favorite moment of the first half? Well, Mookie's Grand Slam was great, but you guys kind of already talked to Mookie, so I'm going to go with uh, the 14-10 game against the Mariners. Right pitch, three innings. That's a good one. Gave up 10 runs, and the Sox offense just absolutely, that game was a just, I, I love shootouts like that. Me it too. It was such a blast to watch. We came out on top. It was great. And Xander Bogarts, um, his game-winning Grand Slam, you got to love. Got to love game winners. Got to love Grand Slam. So you put it all together, it's a great time. So, yeah. There were so many good moments, though. I mean, 68 wins, 30 lo- and uh, only 30 losses. That's pretty darn good. So there's a lot of great <laughs> moments. Yeah, that, that's how you set yourself up for having a pretty good season. I also really enjoyed Rick Porcello's double off Max Scherzer. I don't know if you guys enjoyed that as much as me, but I thought that was really cool. Three RBIs. Oh, yeah, that was great, too. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, so and that 14-10 to 10 game, I think I even tweeted on the Red Sox Unfiltered account, that's probably my favorite game of the year. Like, I've been talking about moments, but I forgot about that. That was an incredible game. That was super fun to watch. A um, lot of homers, a lot of... I think Nelson Cruz and J.D. Martinez combined for, like, f- some crazy amount of RBIs. Like, I think Martinez had, like, seven. Cruz had, like, eight or something. I don't know. It was a great game to watch. A lot of power against two teams vying for vying for postseason. Um, athletics are right on the Mariners. I know we're not supposed to talk about that but i just did yeah so that's that's pretty exciting but yeah that's actually gonna do it for the 15th episode of the red Sox unfiltered podcast it was a lot of fun guys um do you guys have any departing thoughts dave i'll start with you 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 go we gotta organize um not too much just you know go red Sox, and we got a whole half of baseball left let's keep rocking it nice uh jordan what about you you know um if i can add on to my one of my well, I should say iconic. Like one of my personal iconic uh, moments this season was the uh, was my first Red Sox game back in April. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I really enjoy- I mean, Fenway is just fantastic. It's it's turned into you know one of my favorite ballparks. Um, and then the the game itself. So I, I went to the game. The the I believe the Red Sox won that game against uh, Luis Severino. The next day. When I came, when I after I flew home, I turned on the Sox game, and uh, that's when Joe Kelly beamed uh, Tyler Austin. So I was a little peed, PO'd <laughs> that uh, that I missed a baseball fight like the yeah. day the day after. But anyway, that's that's one thing I need to uh, I need to see is a baseball fight. It's yeah. up there. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to see that live. That would be pretty cool. But, yeah, I think you, you said you went to a Red Sox-A's game earlier this year, right? And Mitch Moreland hit that grand yeah. slam. Hector, uh, who was pitching that? Was that Pomeranz or was that Velasquez? I, I think so. Um, yeah. I forget who was Long pitching time for the A's. But, um, yeah, when when Moreland and, and Bradley hit that grand slam. Yeah. Well, not, not Bradley, but Moreland did. Yeah, Bradley uh, to Homer. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that was in my top five grand slams, too. So that was a really good game. And, you know, it was kind of foreshadowing because the next day the Red Sox got no hit by Sean Manaya. So that was probably the worst moment of the 2018 season. But there aren't a lot of those, so... You gotta have some good. You gotta have some bad with the good. Um, my departing thoughts. Um, I've actually listed this because it's it's carefully crafted here because I wanted to talk about this. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. You guys know if you've listened to this podcast, I have an affinity for JBJ. I think he's been getting uh, very unlucky, historically unlucky. I've written like two articles already, and if uh, there might be a third coming, I would not be surprised. Um, but he's starting to heat up. He had a very good uh, month of July. Uh, he had a decent June, and his numbers are starting to creep back up. I have a. I keep saying this on Twitter. I keep repeating it, but. If JBJ brings his OPS to 700, and you guys got to remember, it was at like 500 for a while, I'm going to personally buy a JBJ jersey, and I fully expect this to happen, and I want this to happen, because I don't have any Red Sox jerseys right now, because my Pedroia one went mysteriously missing. So uh, I won't get a Betts or Bogarts jersey. I will be getting a JBJ jersey. So if he gets it to 700, I'm going to keep checking this. It's going to be OPS watch all season. Uh, He's 642, as I said, so... That's going to be cool. He's also brought his uh, F war total to 1.1. That is one whole win more than Pablo Sandoval, for people who were wondering. So, <laughs> J- JBJ, uh, he's, uh, one other thing, uh, among 230 qualifiers, I don't know if you guys ever peruse Baseball 7 and look at their stack cast leaderboards, but they have a very interesting stat, which is my favorite, uh, barrels per play appearances. It's basically like when you get that ideal mixture of launch angle and exit velocity and the frequency with which you do so. Um, Betts is like number one, Martinez number two, so, you know, they're awesome. But JBJ is 98th among 230 qualifiers so he's in the upper percentile like I I know we love him for his defense but there's a good hitter there like not great I will never say great but there's a good hitter there and he's been hitting the crap out of the ball and I'm his hard contact rate is even higher than last year his soft contact rate has gone down his BABIP is still 265 if any of his career BABIP is like 290 so unsustainable expect some positive regression and JBJ, if he starts hitting in the second half, watch out. That's going to be exciting, and that's that's my departing thought. So, yeah, guys, that's going to do it for the uh, 15th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered podcast. You can check us out. Guess where? RedSoxUnfiltered.com. We have some new cool features on the site. We got a daily dose of Red Sox where I'll be jotting down morning blurbs about everything Red Sox from stats to history to news to opinion stuff. So that's interesting. Definitely check that out. We also got ALE updated ALE standings and and the updated Red Sox rosters. So we're trying to become uh, more user friendly, which is great. Um, and then you can listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spreaker, on YouTube. There's a bunch of them. So go check us out. Go give us a listen. Um, and thanks to our partners, The Grueling Truth, uh, who feature our podcast and our material on their site. They are awesome. Check them out as well. Uh, Dave, Jordan, thank you.